Hello and welcome back to Box to Box Euros edition. The last one before we go back to to be confirmed the name uh, for this new season. <laughs> but England won the Euros. Jesse, do you want to repeat that? I, I should have made England you say that England won line. the Euros. I can't and believe I, it. Every time I did a different podcast and I said that England won the Euros, I had like a, a moment where I was like, oh my God, England won the Euros. We've obviously had a, a couple of days to somewhat recover from the Sunday events as we will go through it this episode. But before we go on, introduce my usual two, uh, Jesse and Abdullah. Abdullah went back the Monday morning. Yeah, no, post-holiday, post-trip, Euros, everything you want to call it, blues. I like As, as I was leaving Monday morning to the airport, I was like, man, I'm going to miss this place. I'm going to miss the Euros. I'm going to miss the the stress and the tension of getting to stadiums and not missing trains and getting lost in Barnsley and coming back, you know, so that was... Everyone's um, doing fine and we're still... Everyone's fine, we're all good. We're fine. I got we back all survived. <laughs> we all survived, I got back we're all We're all still dragging along <laughs> after this last month. Okay, let, let's get back to the football. This is what we're here for. <sighs> Breathe in, got this. Okay, so some quick thoughts on the game i'm sure everyone has relived and discussed this game to death not as much as jesse probably um, but let's get some quick thoughts from you two jesse how did it feel honestly it's like no exaggeration to say it was the best day of my life it was the whole thing from start to finish was just <laughs> Totally amazing. And I always had, you know, this crazy blind faith that we would win. Um, But for it actually to happen still felt kind of mad. The atmosphere at Wembley was just totally insane. Seeing like everyone on the tube going to the game was just so much bigger than, you know, any of the women's football games I've seen at Wembley before. And the whole match just felt like it kind of played out perfectly. Even like in hindsight, the fact that Germany scored and you got that, that kind of tension, I think, like just made all of it better. And, you know, the Chloe Kelly goal, like I didn't even know to score that goal until I saw Chloe Kelly was putting her shirt back on. And yeah, every, everything. Like it it honestly still hasn't sunk in, really. Um, to- totally just amazing, amazing day. I do have to agree with the, the fact that Germany scored. Um, I think that made it easier to kind of digest potentially for the Germans the fact that they did score that equaliser and they did push it to extra time obviously it's so hurt but it wasn't like England won a 3-0 or, or something like it was a tight match and the attention was there throughout the entire match and it was just really exciting overall of course I was in a Germany kit um, so I did celebrate that Lena McGoggle quite hard and when, <laughs> when Germany scored Zana tapped me on the shoulder and she just like started pointing to her left. I was like, what's she trying to point at? Once again, everyone sat down, everyone grumpy. There's Alex, like, I don't know, like one block away from me, like just like taking the piss out of me. The worst mm. thing was when England scored, I couldn't turn around and do it back to her because everyone had stood up at that. Yeah. Point. That was that was actually really funny because yeah, I was looking over and then Jesse was just had Jesse had their mad face on and I was just <laughs> laughing because I was just jumping up and down. Um, so that was quite funny. But no, it was 
I mean, at the end of the day, I like I can't I was never going to be mad if England won, even if it was over Jeremy. I, I couldn't like I can't be mad about it. Um, I was just happy it was a good match. I'm happy it wasn't just like one team completely dominating the other. And it was actually the tense, you know, the tension was there. The excitement was there. Um, and it was everything that we kind of hoped for in the final. Um, but Abdullah, what did you make of the match as your first um, big tournament women's football final? Oh, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, like you, I was wearing a Germany top in the midst of England fans, but um it was it was insane insane like the atmosphere was nothing like i'd ever experienced like eighty five thousand people all rooting for the same team and you know uh you can't help but feel like this you know the chills and everything so it was amazing i mean again like i didn't like if if like england won but it I didn't mind. Like for me, it was whoever won was still going to be a fun game to watch. I just happened to be wearing a Germany kit at the time and uh, wanting to, to 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 give some support to 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 Sydney Loman because she's a baller. But uh, no, loved it. Absolutely amazing end to end game at times, and um, at least it wasn't a boring final. Put it that way. That is definitely true. But Jesse, obviously. Pre-match, the big and sad news was that Alex Pop was missing, so we couldn't do her a box-to-box call-out if she scored, as you called it out in the last episode. But looking strictly at the football, how big of a blow was this for the Germans? It was okay because when they announced Alex Scott at the parade on <laughs> Monday, I got to do it then instead. <laughs> Lots of people called Alex floating around. Um, yeah, this was like a real... Jesse. There's not that many of us. Come on. No, that's true. But you, you seem to pop up the three of you quite a lot. We're important uh, people up, with please. important names. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, this really confused me because I was having a beer, looked at the lineup, saw it was just the normal Germany lineup went into the stadium and then they're announcing it and it was like Leia Schuler and I was like huh I'm sure I didn't see Leia Schuler like how are they gonna fit like Schuler and Pop in and then I realized that Pop just wasn't playing um I think I didn't feel like it necessarily impacted the it didn't seem like it, it destabilized the Germans. I didn't feel like they were really not sure of what to do. But I guess this is kind of the, the problem and, and something England have been very lucky on is when you do have these very fixed formations, which I think is something that Germany have done throughout this tournament as well, is that if stuff changes, you don't necessarily have the, the connections between players. And I think the fact that, you know, you were looking at, uh, Yula Brand playing in place of Clara Boulle and then Leia Schuller playing in place of Alex Pop. Like that's a like a lot of, of shift in in your front line. And Schuller obviously hadn't played since that that kind of opening game. So I felt like Schuller definitely kind of struggled to get into the game. She had one really good chance after the Lena Magul shot hit the bar and um she kind of just like rolled it into Mary Earps's arms. Uh the rebound, which I thought like was a shame but I was surprised how early she went off I still felt like she had more to offer and the fact that they then kind of had Tabea Vasmus playing as a as a false nine didn't really work for me either but yeah I think you know I think realistically obviously if Pop plays this is like a very very different game and just personally I feel totally gutted for her because she deserved to have that moment um regardless of how how it might have affected the the outcome and 
it just really sucks for her to be honest and yeah when they kept cutting to her looking sad it made me feel sad yeah don't even get me started on how sad it was when Lena Oberdorf was crying on, on full time my eyes watered up and it took a lot not to cry yeah it was I was I was kind of shocked that she didn't come out like come out at all like that makes it that makes me question a lot how big the injury was because I'd assume you know she would get out of the starting eleven, come on as maybe a 15-10 minute sub to try to get a goal at least um but of course with 120 minutes that was a bit harder as well but I was kind of shocked that at the fact that this injury literally kept her out for the entire match and she couldn't even come on for a little bit but that was yeah that was a bit disappointing I agree with with you, Jesse, with the sense that she was kind of robbed of, of this moment that she was waiting so long for. And the fact that this was her first Euros and Germany got to the final and she wasn't able to experience that on the pitch. Um, that was really gutting. Um, but Abdullah, this was a pretty even game, but England definitely had the better of the first half. How were they hurting the Germans? Yeah, I think I think England England edged it. And I think, but as the game went on, it, it was... Um... It was getting it was getting better for Germany. I think I think the main thing I think there was a couple of things that I think England did well to, to capitalize on Germany. I think Alex Pop's injury and not starting was was a bigger factor than I think a lot of people thought because not only because of the fact that she scores goals, but there's the way the Germans have adapted their games to when she's in the lineup and, and the presence she brings when she drops in and kind of her hold-up play, kind of dropping into midfield. She's so strong and so big and able to kind of make those movements into the pockets. I think they really missed that, which I think Leia Schuler didn't give them that. So they were missing an extra, almost like an extra player in midfield when they were going up against England's here. And I think England made it really scrappy, which I don't think is something that Lina Magul or Sara Dabritz, uh, Debritz, enjoy doing particularly i mean they'll get stuck in but like if you keep making it really scrappy that's thing that georgia stanway and then uh fran kirby were really doing and getting on the ball and, and really winning it physically i think that is what england were doing really really well and they were able to kind of overrun the germans in midfield and and and, and that in the, in the same time that isolated schuler because then Schuler wasn't getting any service, you know. You know, Hulebrand and 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 um, uh, you know, Hulebrand and the wingers, they they were doing their thing. They were they were doing they were doing well. But like when when you when you nullify and limit the central striker, who's been such an important part of the system, and in England going in is almost like a three v three. But at the same time, they were able to nullify the two center midfielders. Um, I think that helped, and it also didn't help that I think Oberdorf didn't have her best game. Like. She was good, but she wasn't at her like top level best like she was in the. <laughs> I <Cancelled>. listen. I <laughs> love. I'm not having it I on love, this podcast. I love Lena Oberdorf, but like, if her standard, can do no wrong. If no. her standard is here, she was maybe five percent below that. She could have been sent off in that first. She could have easily gotten yeah. yellow card much sooner. Than she <laughs> that did. was that's the problem, I and I think it. when she got the yellow again, Lena Oberdorf can do no wrong. You don't give her a yellow card that early. She's a woman after Alex's own heart. <laughs> could get sent off in the first half. <laughs> yeah. And that yellow, I think that yellow card then messed with her because she couldn't play her natural game after that because any move and then the, the atmosphere and kind of every tackle was being booed or being, or being, you know, talked about and so loudly that I think it affected the Germans there as well. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. I think, to be fair, what I found interesting about this entire tournament was that how motivated a lot of teams were to play against England because they knew how important it was for England to play at home Euros. Um, so I find it interesting that obviously it motivated England, but it motivated the opposition team just as much. 
in every press conference, you know, Aitana was really outspoken on that. She's like, I'm, we're ready to play England and, you know, prove ourselves against them, which Jesse don't even make that face. Um, didn't help anyone, did it? No. Didn't help no, but anyone I'm, in the I'm, end. Not say, I'm not saying it worked. But it was crazy. Like, when Germany were, like, talking about, like, how England were favourites, I was like, look, I know this German, like, this German squad weren't back there in 2013 and all the times before and they won stuff. But it's crazy. They were talking about a team who'd never won a major international tournament being, like, obviously the favourites over a team who've won, like, two World Cups and eight Euros, um, like, in terms of that national setup. So, of course, there's, like, a stronger mentality there. I don't know. I, th- I thought... I didn't have a problem with it. I just thought teams were very clever with it because it wasn't obvious to me that England were ever, like, overwhelming favourites. Like, I thought we were good and should be seen as favourites. But, yeah, it was just, you know, the idea that Germany were the plucky underdogs at Wembley is totally laughable. That is, when you put it into perspective, it was that my mom actually texted me that. She was like, I'm so happy the underdogs won. And I was like... I was like, I was like, I get it. But, like, (laughs) I get it. But at the same time, like, England... By by that point in the tournament, England were no longer the underdogs in any context whatsoever when you look at the record. But then it was it's just confusing. But anyway, it was really intriguing to see how the oppositions kind of picked up on that motivation just as much as England did. But let's get back to the actual uh, football again. Jesse, Germany seemed to be getting the upper hand in this one, in the second half, until... El Atun. Sorry, I have to say it. El Atun. Before uh, El Atun ran through on goal with, I must say, was an exquisite Kira Walsh assist. What do you think about Germany kind of dominating a bit in the second half? Yeah, obviously at halftime, Martina Vos-Tecklenburg took off Eula Brand and brought on Tabia Vasmo. And I thought she looked a lot more kind of comfortable playing with Leia Schuler. I feel like maybe Vasmuf is better at that kind of, you know, being able to swap positions, being able to do the stuff on the wing, come in, come out, than, than Eula Brand is right now, who feels very much like, I need to run directly at you. And if I can't run directly at you, there's like not as much stuff I can do, which makes sense because Tabia Vasmuf is an older and more well-rounded player and Eula Brand is 19. So I, I think that decision really kind of reinvigorated Germany. I think they knew they kind of got away with one in the first half, both because I think it was the refereeing and because Ellen White had two very, very good chances, which she should have scored. But it's um, Ellen White, so come on. But it's Ellen White, so she didn't. I The the first one, like, that had, I don't, <laughs> that should have been Fran Kirby's assist as well, so I've got beef there. But yeah, I think then it, in the second half, it felt like England were a bit shell-shocked. I think maybe because they were a bit rattled by some of the refereeing and basically how the game was kind of playing out. But the, I mean, the pass from Kirosh, it wasn't the first time she'd done a pass like that as well. I think for that Ellen White header, it's the same pass, is it? Or it's like there's I one where Beth Mead she's basically definitely, She's definitely done it. it once in the season as well. I'm pretty sure I remember that. Yeah, it, it just felt like maybe Kira Walsh, I don't know whether this is... I, this is just something I've totally thought of now, but I, I don't know whether they did notice that there was like bigger gaps that Germany had maybe between their centre-backs or full-backs if their full-backs pushed up because she did it both on, on two sides. But yeah, fantastic pass and, you know, the finish from Ella Toon, like the composure, I think from both Rousseau and Toon, it really can't be emphasised enough how both 
of them are quality players, and I think we always knew that. But the level they've reached in this tournament, both in terms of their goal-scoring ability and the ability to do it under the most pressure they've ever had in their careers, under the most people they've ever played in front of, has just been absolutely impossible to conceive of. Like, if you could have told me at the start of this tournament that Russo and Ella Toon would have scored the goals that they have scored, like, I just wouldn't have believed it from you at all. And, yeah, I mean, to... Be like, yeah, I'm just gonna take this over the top of Murder Froms in front of a seven thousand people at Wembley in the Euros final. Like, no biggie. I'm 22 years old. Like, it's crazy. It was such a good goal. I mean, even when you look at the goal scorers at the Wembley final, like Chloe Kelly and, and Ella Tude, who had that written in the stars that they were gonna be the difference in the Euros final, you would have, you know, you could have easily just said, you know, an Ellen White header, a Beth Mead goal. Um, who else? A Fran Kirby goal, but like Ella Toon and Chloe Kelly were the two that that won England the title. And you'd have got very good odds on those two, wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> if, if you did it at the start of the start of the tournament. Yeah, no, I would have never. I would have never in a million years said Chloe Kelly is going to have the winner for the Euro final. But yeah, that it, it is outstanding. And um, I did a the Arsenal podcast earlier today, and one of the questions was, who would you if you had to name one player from each team that you would take from United City and Chelsea, I had to pick Alessia Russo. I had to. <laughs> she just she amazes me every day, and I. <laughs> she can do it all. She it's she's so so good. But even like when you don't look at her like her goal scoring abilities, like the movement that she does <laughs> to make the runs and inside the box. Like there was one header. I think it was one of the first goals when she stepped in front, stepped back, moved around and still found found the perfect angle to head the ball across the goal. That was just outstanding. And um, yeah, I'm going to stop praising English players. No, I'm kidding. I, you got it right the first the first day of the Euros, Alex, in that shirt. You should have uh, stuck with it. Anyway, Abdullah, let's talk about some happiness for, for us wearing the, the German kit. I do have to say that I had the perfect angle for that Lina Magogo. I was sat basically like directly behind where she shot the goal at the angle. And I was also in a perfect shot for when she hit the crossbar too. That was gutting. Not for Jesse, for me it was. I had, I had stood also, up already. Alex- Tell the people, didn't I say at halftime Lena McGoo was going to score? Yes, Jesse. To be fair, I, I will applaud. Jesse has been spot on with their predictions this Euros, and I, I must give them credit for that. I have to admit, Jesse predicted a England-Germany final and England winning. 2-1. So, yeah, with the score too. So I... I will give Jesse that. But Abdullah, was Germany getting an equalizer fair? Oh, 100%. I think once they realized, once they made the changes by bringing on Tabia Vasmus, and I think um, eventually when they brought on Sydney Lohman, I think the equalizer was, the equalizer was almost a, was almost inevitable because the way they, they, they changed their game when those two came on and along with Anyomi, I, I finally felt like... Oh, though to be fair, I'll put the caveat saying that I thought Loman came on too late. I thought she should have come on maybe in the 60-something minute, not in the 70-plus minute. But the way they were able to, to change their game and change the setup, I think, really worked well. Because when you bring someone like Loman on, 
you bring in that physicality that you lost through Alex Pop and her ability to hold the play up, be explosive in the box, and and kind of run, and you know and go through. We saw that against France; it changed the game. You know when she picked up that ball, turned through the pass out, and then they scored from the resulting play. She did the same thing here. She picked up the ball and uh, you know on the on the side, kind of dry, drove through, went out into the wide areas you know, passed it, passed it in and then, you know, the pass went to Magul and she scored. So I think, I think the Loman effect was, 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 was massive. Um, I thought Tabia Vasmuth was just so much more fluid in that front line, kind of playing between, playing between the lines. And I think having someone that, that would drop in as well as running back and give that unpredictability to England's back line, you know, was, was a big factor because Schuler, like Jesse said earlier, Schuler just wants to run one way. And if you, if you block that path and stop her from going forward, it's very easy to predict that and stop those movements. But if you've got a play, you don't know if she's, she's going to drop in, she's going to go to the side, she's going to go in behind. It becomes a lot more difficult. So I think, and then Magul was then given a little bit more license to kind of roam forward, push through and, and, and kind of be that extra, you know, that, that, that extra late body when, when Sydney basically was taking up a lot of the pressure and a lot of the, uh, a lot of the pressing uh, in midfield. Yeah, I was really um, excited for Cindy Loman of how much she had to deal with that goal. Um, that was, I, I love Cindy Lemon the way she plays and obviously she hasn't had that many minutes, but as soon as she came on, she kind of started. Um, I mean, obviously it did make, it did help that she had fresh legs against, um, you know, legs that have been kind of going in at a high intensity pace for the entire match so far, but she, the, the calmness that she has on the ball was just really crucial for, for kind of keeping that um, pace for Germany. And that really impressed me, but Jesse, last question before we go to a quick fire section, how did you feel about extra time? <laughs> I was convinced it was going to penalties. I definitely didn't. I just thought both the team, both teams were too good and sensible defensively. Like you saw England didn't want to, especially didn't want to take risks. I mean, I was mainly watching from the England perspective at this point in time, but you know, there were, there were moments where we were kind of counterattacking and no one was bothering to push up because it was just so obvious that we there was no way we wanted to be exposed. Um, so I was just like, this is going to be penalties. I'm going to be sick all over Wembley because I'm so scared about penalties. I I still don't know like whether Lena Magul going off was like an injury thing or a just tiredness thing. But I, I thought that, you know, she was the player for me for Germany who just felt so dangerous this whole match. Every time she got on the ball, like I was feeling worried and I think especially after even more so after she scored it just felt like you know th there were people around me who obviously didn't know much about the German team who were like who is who is this person so and then yeah obviously the goal happens I mean it's incredibly scrappy but those last kind of 10 minutes are truly some of the funniest 10 minutes of football I know Alex was getting very upset about them but I just thought it was like brilliant like the absolute best game management I think I've ever I don't think I've ever watched a game of that magnitude where a team has so comprehensively seen out the end result and I think you know kind of the profiles of England players kind of work for that like I feel like Chloe Kelly really suits that kind of like I'm going to be kind of annoying and do like tricks and stuff and keep it in the corner and, and have my quick feet and things like that but I thought they managed the game so so well like really Germany only had that one free kick just before the final whistle and yeah I mean it, it's just it's just amazing like 
to have gone to one up in extra time and then feel no panic at all because I just didn't like I didn't there was no opportunity for me to worry because everything and I think because I was sat at Mary Earps's goal end everything was just like I couldn't even really see what's going on but I was like that's fine as long as it's not in front of me it's all fine <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna get into that um but yeah we're gonna go into some quick fire questions um to go through just what stood out for us in the entire tournament going outside of the final but looking back at the entirety of the euros who was your standout player abdullah uh i would have to say other than jesse's choice it would be millie bright i thought she was pretty much the best defender of the tournament i mean her box defending is unlike anything i've ever seen before every single game there was this assurance in terms of how aggressive she was defending that you would not get past millie bright whether it's in the air whether it's on the ground anything anything that was scrappy in the box just like you just you almost just knew that bright's gonna win that nine times out of ten bright is winning and she pretty much won every uh every duel she went into i, I mean i haven't seen the stats but i'm pretty sure it's up there in the high 80s or something that that was i mean millie bright from was unreal in this tournament from a defensive perspective jesse yeah i i went with kira walsh maybe i'm a bit um final biased but mm. i just i just, just always <laughs> well you know i just felt like it, before the tournament began when we were still talking about leah williamson playing in midfield i wrote about how i thought that if england were going to win kira walsh needed to have an amazing tournament and i think we saw Kira Walsh have an amazing tournament. And I think part of that came from Viegman choosing not to play Lear alongside her. I think there was a problem before that Walsh didn't have the same freedom to make the passes she wanted to when she had kind of Williamson as this six come eight next to her. And pushing Williamson back just felt like it gave her that space again because Stanway and Frank Herbie were naturally going to be more high up the pitch than than Williamson was, even when Williamson was trying to do it. It just always felt a bit awkward. But yeah, you know, the the pass for El girl, just, you know, all of them. I think what was also exciting about Kira is the kind of question mark I've always had in my game is like, I've never had a doubt that Kira Walsh is a great passer of the ball. Like we know this and we've seen like, if she gets the time and the space, like she can really dictate games, but to see her in these really high intensity, high pressing games with teams who really want the ball to be able to kind of still do that physical aspect and find the space and, and still make things happen when maybe she's not getting as much time on the ball, I think was felt like a, you know, almost like a step forward for her in, in her career too. I think that's fair to say. I think a lot of people that haven't watched Women's Soap before have been quite impressed with Kira Walsh. Um, I do want to throw in another name into the hat um, and Aitana Bonmati because I think she had an outstanding tournament. I think it was just unfortunate how Spain weren't really prepared to support her in, in the level that she stepped up to. I mean, starting with that goal that she scored in the opening match with that Mappy assist, that, that header was just outstanding. And you see, you see the level that she was playing at, and she was just a level above the entire team. She was getting out of spaces again that she had no right to get out of. She was getting out of a tight space with three defenders around her, and she, she, like her odds of getting out to that was like a, a not point zero 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 one percent of getting out of that, and she still managed to get out of that somehow. Um, and she was really picking up the ball a lot. She was touching the ball a lot, and she actually carried the, the ball forward quite a lot, um, considering that it's. It is Alexia who usually does that. So I think she stepped into that role quite well. Um, 
And again, there was like there's a lot of people that are talking about her that have never watched women's football before. And Aitana is kind of like stuck in their mind already. So I think that's quite impressive. But I think, yeah, just seeing her live again. And again, Jesse and I were sat um, right by the pitch side for the England-Spain game. And Aitana would just come do things that right in front of us. And we would just look over each other and be like, what, what the fuck just happened? Um, so I do have to say Aitana, I thought I had a brilliant tournament. Just unfortunate that Spain couldn't really cross It's exciting line. for her as, as well, right? Because I feel like this could be, with Alexia out, like this could be an amazing and I think you know like to have had the maybe chance to kind of try out that role within the Spain team obviously didn't go very far but now she's probably going to take on a similar role within the Barcelona team like I think it'll be really interesting to see maybe what she's taken or learned from the tournament moving forward into kind of having that same position for Barcelona we have now transitioned into an Aitana fan club uh, for this season coming up. <laughs> um, but next one, standout young player. I'm going to go ahead and say mine because I think it's quite obvious, but Lena Oberdorf, always, always, always. But I do have to say that even though she played 10 minutes, Amayurse Regi proved herself like no other player in those 10 minutes. Um, but Abdullah, who's yours? Uh, Lena Oberdorf. I mean, just... You can't go wrong with Lena Obador. Every game she played, she was a level above the rest. And and just for me, the biggest standout feature is her intelligence and vision at 20 years old is absolutely unreal. I don't think I've ever seen a 20-year-old, let alone uh, you know any player, but a defensive midfielder with the intelligence and the vision that she has to play that position and against, I mean, I mean, the Austria game stands out so much. She man marks the Drassel and Farsinger out alone and managed to cover in the space from behind. Like Austria were nullified by one player. Like it was insane how how good um, uh, Oberdorf was and, and and the way she plays. And just a quick shout out to, and I'm going to keep saying it, but it's, I've become a fan, a fan of this player. But like Sydney Lohman with her cameos in the last in the semifinal and the final, I think that they literally changed the games for Germany in their favor when she came on. You could see the impact that she made. And I'm excited for Germany's midfield going in the future. Lohmann, Oberdorf, Magul, Debritz. I mean, you've got some, you know, you've got some world-class players in there. So that, that team is a scary one to look out for in the midfield. And they're all 21, 20, 22 years old. So it's it's insane. Yeah, it is it is quite weird when you think about how old Cindy Lo- uh well Cindy Lohmann too, but Lena Oberdorf in particular, because she's so crucial for both club and country already which is you don't really get that feat until you're you're quite you know older when you're established yourself in the club but she's yeah she's so young and you know she's a starting 11 and when she's not on the pitch you can tell the difference so that's really impressive and the fact that we're we literally have about 10 more years to be to seeing her play is just absolutely ridiculous um but jesse who's your standout young player of the tournament yeah, I mean, for me, it would be Lena Oberdorf, but in the interest of being interesting on a podcast where we don't all say the same person, I'm going to go with um, Victoria Pullover because she was someone who I'd kind of watched a bit before the tournament and thought were really exciting, but there was this caveat that she played in the Dutch League, and I was like, look, I don't watch the Dutch League. I had zero way of judging like whether this was actually good or how this would kind of translate to the international stage. But, you know, I think in what was a really tough tournament for the Dutch, she was a shining light. I mean, I know she kind of struggled in her start against France, but in the quarterfinal, but 
I just thought she looked so composed in those kind of substitute performances in the in the group stages and she looked like she really fitted in in well with the Dutch team. And I think, you know, there are lots of very young, talented Dutch players. I think there's lots for that country to be very excited about. But yeah, Palova was just someone who really stood out to me. And I think, you know, I I think it'd be a surprise if we're watching her in the Dutch league for much longer, to be honest. Yeah, I was I have to agree with that. I wouldn't say of the entire tournament, but I do agree with how much she impressed when she came on. I thought every time she came on the pitch, she made the difference. Um, and we saw that against, especially in the Sweden match, I remember she came on and she just absolutely had an amazing match to begin with. Um, so it is quite, and she is quite, she's been struggling to get onto this national team quite often. She's always that that last name on the list that either makes it or, or, or doesn't. Um, so I am quite pleased that she was able to prove herself at the tournament. Um, but I am curious to see what her future holds because I think she's a good player. I think... I'm, yeah, I'm not. I'm gonna leave it at that because if not, I could just go on for that forever. It's been in the back of my mind for about the last season. Um, but best goalkeeper, I think the three of us have different answers actually. So this is quite interesting. Um, Abdullah, I went with Merle Fromms from Germany. I just, I just thought she had a, she had a pretty good. Um... She had a pretty good tournament, uh, you know, up until that 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 own goal against France. Um, she was keeping clean sheets. She was really making some big saves, and I think a big part of the way that G- the Germans defended was down to their goalkeeper really making some really good saves. So, um, that's I think it's it's, it's I think and it was the f- I think really for a lot of people the first time they saw from really come out and 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 to 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 be a starter when you've got like Almut Schultz and and Anne Katrin Berger in that team and to keep your play- place and perform like that to get to a final uh, yeah, I think you've got to be really really good so yeah so for me it was definitely Merle from so there was I think this is probably the first tournament in a while that I can remember where there were actually quite a few goalkeeping candidates you could pick and be like you know you got you can make an argument for one two three four five different players from different teams so yeah I, I just I went with Froms. Jesse? I'm gonna go with Mary just because because I just didn't expect it. I was waiting for that woman to get chipped the whole bloody tournament and only one person gave it a go and she saved it in that Spain quarterfinal. But yeah, I think, you know, statistically she comes out as one of the best goalkeepers in the tournament and she's such a confidence player. I think it's credit to Wiegmann and and to the team in terms of how much obviously they gave her and her, her belief, but she bailed England out a lot. She bailed them out in the semifinals. She bailed them out a couple of times here. In the final two, you know, like her dominance, I think, in the area to kind of come and collect balls, which is something I don't really feel like I've seen from, from her. You know, she's not the tallest goalkeeper in the world, but again, it just felt like she was so commanding and I'm, you know, she's a funny person. She makes me laugh. Um, and I think it's just amazing, you know, both from Mary Earps and Beth Mead, you know, these players who were literally out of the England picture. They didn't go to the Olympics as part of the Team GB squad to kind of come back in and be integral parts to the the team that wins England's first ever women's international trophy is 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 just incredible. And and yeah, it's it's hard not to feel very happy for Earps, but I thought, you know, she she more than deserved her position in the end. She she truly owned it. There was no she gave no one the opportunity to say, why isn't Eddie Roebuck playing? Which is crazy given how good a goalkeeper Eddie Roebuck is. And how long Eddie Roebuck has had that position over Mary Earps forever. 
And um, I do have to say Daphne Van Domselaar. I left her out of my design starting 11. I really regret it now because I put Mary Earps instead. I think I talked about this with Jesse right when I was making the starting 11. I think Mary Earps just, just had the better tournament and she came up with big saves and got to the final. And I think she made really good saves in the final as well. But, you know, Van Domselaar, she she was never supposed to play this tournament, essentially. You know, she was never supposed to step foot on that pitch uh, over Sari Van Vienendal. And she had to come in in the first match of the tournament and take over from that. And since then, she's been outstanding. Um, you know, she's only 22, plays for, in the Netherlands. You know, she's not, she hasn't had the experience of playing against these, you know, top-sided players in the world and such a big experience in, in a major tournament like this. So that just, when you put it all in, into context, that was quite impressive. She did make most the most saves in the tournament, which probably is more of a testament to how bad the Dutch defense is than, than to her. But um, I think she she stepped up when the Dutch needed it and she was outstanding with some of the saves that she did. Um, so yeah, that's definitely is my go-to. Next one is best manager, Abdullah. Yeah, I had to go with Serena. I mean, just you take England to a final, you win the Euros, you 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 kind of banish the demons of of yesteryear by finally going all the way and doing it. And to be the first manager to get back to back Euros wins with two different two different countries and teams is an unreal achievement. And I felt like her tactical. Uh, her tactical nous and and mastery, I think, was on display throughout the tournament. While it may not have been anything intricate, anything um, too over the top, I just felt like whatever she, you know, she did and she implemented was so well drilled into the players. I don't think I've seen a squad so well drilled into a set of tactics where you can take one out for the other and they know exactly what they have to do and they perform to the level that's required. You know, you could have put Alessia Russofel and White, you get the same thing. You put. <clears throat> Chloe Kelly on for Lauren Hemp or Beth Mead, you're getting the same thing, you, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And you saw that when Kelly came on, obviously she got the winner. Um, Jill Scott, I think, I think was, you know, had a, had a decent game. I mean, she was scrappy in there. She had the moment with Sydney Loman in midfield that is now forever etched in everybody's memory and part of the final. Um, and I just felt like the adjustments that they made against Sweden after they, you know, they, they had issues against Spain, I think for me was the biggest tactical moment that 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 she had where that that midfield build up that teams that that you know thought they'd figured out and then she made the adjustment with a double pivot i thought that was fantastic so yeah that's my reasoning behind serena vigman being my team manager of the tournament and serena vigman we trust jesse yeah i mean again Serena probably will be my pick, but in the interests of being interesting, I went with uh, Irena Furman just because, you know, I don't think anyone, well, not many people, unless you're called Carl Carpenter, back to Australia to kind of get out of that group. And I felt like even though they lost to Germany, there was a very clear plan there that almost really worked out for them. And that game could have could have gone differently, I think. And I just think in a tournament which showed a lot of incompetent coaches to be out there. Uh, Furman was like a real shining light and kind of credit to the Austrian system in terms of having come up through their association and being involved with those players and, and that national team for a very long time and just showing how, you know, I think something I've kind of thought about a lot and I guess maybe isn't something we always talk about on here because we do like more tactical stuff, but 
you know, there is a real dearth of women coaching in like elite women's club football still. And it's been really, I think, exciting and impressive to see within the Euros how many kind of successful female coaches there have been. And I do think there's a, a problem still, which is that there's a, you know, within men's football and men's coaching, there is a bit of a, a who you are element to it. And I think what it kind of, what's kind of came out of this tournament with the feeling was that like, maybe lots of the female coaches were better prepared because they they weren't people who had names or clubs that kind of justify them getting the jobs. They were actually just people who knew exactly what they were doing. And I feel like Irena Furman really epitomised that and she wears a damn good suit. So that should count for something too. That was a big highlight of the <laughs> tournament was her outfits were just spot on. It was during the Austria-Germany match I was sat behind the dugouts and I, I think I was paying more attention to Irene than I was for the match sometimes because she was she was a boss she was bossing that sideline like no other she was just go oh my god I was about to like go kiss her feet or something that was she was literally just like standing there I was like I will do whatever you say that sounded wrong out of context I'm gonna take that back now um but no she was it's just the the energy that she brings from the touchline and the way that the players respond to her, it was just like really, it was a big respect. Um, so I, I can back that, Jesse, for once. I think we're on the same side again. But for the last one of the quick fire, uh, biggest disappointment, player, game, team, manager, whatever you wish, Abdullah. I mean, it's very easy to go for... Um... For Vilda, for, for for Spain, but I'll I'll leave that to you, Alex. You can go on that rant. But um, I I went with I went with Denmark because I felt like, you know, going into the tournament, they were they you know they, they I felt like they would maybe have put on a little bit of a better fight. You know, I thought some of the tactics were a little bit negative. You know, and sometimes when you're playing like Penela Hades, it's like you know in this three five you know in in this four five one or something, and and playing her almost as the lone striker up front. It didn't work. It's, it required, I don't know, just everything about Denmark tactically otherwise confused me. I mean, they got battered by Germany 4-0, which is no shame in that, which is fine. But like you expect a little bit more from Denmark, you know, you know, to maybe, maybe maybe fight back and keep it. At, if you're going to lose, keep it at 2-0 or a 2-1, make it close. But, you know, I think they set the tone with that 4-0 loss and then they just about barely beat Finland 1-0. You know, they needed they needed Panila Hada to come through against their rescue. And I thought that over-reliance on, on, on her was probably their biggest downfall in the sense that just, you know, the other players didn't step up as much as they they could have. Yeah, so for me, I think it was definitely Denmark. Jesse? I'm going with Norway here. They've obviously just announced Higarisa. This is going to be their new manager, which some people seem excited about. I feel concerned about. I'm, I'm traumatised after her uh, GB stunt. I literally never want to watch a Higarisa team play football again, but apparently we are going to watch a Higarisa team play football again. Maybe it'll be better. Like I, you know, I do think it, some managers just more naturally fit into different nations. It was always like a strange thing with England GB where you're in this interim role but it was not good but maybe it'll be different in Norway but yeah I just think the quality that that team has like it's still kind of shocking to me how rubbish they were like just like genuinely awful and I think you know like with Norway we talked a lot about the defensive stuff and they were obviously very open but just 
you can get teams that are open and have really good attacks and then just they have these kind of chaos mad games and sometimes I, I actually enjoy that more but the fact that they just like created zero with Caroline Graham Hansen, Eddie Hagenberg and Gura Rice on the pitch like that is still mind-blowing what the fuck how did they let that happen I don't know if Hegarisa is going to be able to fix that because, I mean, to be fair, Hegarisa was good at chaos. That Australia GB game was one of the most fun chaos games from an objective perspective. So maybe she will at least bring some of that in. I I still can't fathom how Norway literally, as you mentioned, just created so little. Like I just I can't wrap my head around it because like, no matter how shit the manager is, as we saw in Spain, like you could still create some things based off your kind of talents. Um, but it just, it, it literally made no sense of how crap Norway did. Um, but my biggest disappointment is obviously Jorge Villa, which I'm not going to get into because I can talk about that forever. And I think we've heard enough of me talking about him because I always bring it up because I hate him so much. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's that concludes kind of the quick fire and our final kind of uh, talk through. We do have a, a bit of an announcement to finish off the episode with. Abdullah, do you want to take it ahead? That made no sense. Do you want to do you want to go ahead yeah. and <laughs> announce? <laughs> so. Yeah, um, this is my last Box to Box episode. I will be uh, leaving the show after this. We, uh, we we had a quick meeting when when I was out there, and, and we decided that now was the best time to to start fresh. Things things different things happening at different you know different points of our our, our lives and, and careers. So we felt like this was the best time to to call it quits and 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 we move forward from there. But um, you know, it's it's been a pleasure. It's been amazing, you know, podcasting with the two of you for the last couple of years. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Um, talking about tactics and Champions League and WSL and the Euros. And, you know, it was great to meet you both of you in person for the first time. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss it. But uh, it is what it is. Everything, everything good comes to an end. And uh um yeah who knows probably maybe maybe i'll be back during the season but uh yeah for 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 regular listeners this will be my la- last you hear from me for a little while we have we will book abdullah back for he's decided to pick leon as his go-to team for going forward <laughs> we said you could only pick one <laughs> big surprise and unclear whether we'll make alex do the same <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Both of my teams won't get to the final, so that's fine. At least mine make it through the group stage. <clears throat> um, but yes, it's Abdullah's last episode as a regular, but you will hear him um, throughout the season, hopefully, to come in to give um, whenever he needs to rant about Leon again, <laughs> playing against Juventus. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, so that's that's the end of this era. Um, Jesse and I are going to continue, but we haven't really decided how we're going to carry this forward uh, without Abdullah, but we will keep you guys in the loop. Um, but yes, this is also the last episode of the Euros edition. 
Again, we are trying to look at rebranding box to box WSL just to kind of get a more generic name, uh, considering we do cover the Champions League as well. So we'll keep you guys in the loop with that. Um, but we will be back for the start of a new season. And again, we'll be covering the WSL as always. But we're also going to try to branch out to more into the, the Bundesliga, the French League and the Primera Iberdrola um, a bit more often than what we do now. And of course, always covering the Champions League because that is ultimate shithousery that we must always talk about. Um, but yeah, make sure you're following us on Twitter at BoxToboxWSL to keep up with these news, uh, with the rebranding and stuff, and with every episode release. Um, thank you for listening and thank you to Abdullah. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.